Hi, and welcome back to another Tap Talks HR podcast. Today, we're talking about some of the insight behind our recently released Inclusive Organizations report. With me, I have Joe Drury, TAP Senior Inclusion Consultant and co-author of our new Inclusive Organization report. Hi, Joe. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Hi, Anthony. It's great to be back again. Yeah, a returning person on the podcast. We must do something right. Anyway, oh, absolutely. So, Joe, this the, this report that we've just produced, um, could you want to just explain to the listeners why now is a good time to release a report around inclusion? I think now is a particularly good time to, to do a report and to start really unpicking some of the, the themes that we see because we're really at a crossroads with everything that's happened with the pandemic. I think socially we're quite vulnerable and society is always something in my mind that is so important to organisations' cultures because cultures reflect broader society and broader society breeds expectations of us as organisations and what our responsibilities are. Um, You know, I think because of the acceleration in certain movements that we've seen in the, the diversity and inclusion space recently, such as Black Lives Matter and everything that has happened as a result of events last year, Um, Again, it's a a critical time for us to um, review what we're doing, um, in some instances start properly with what we're doing, um, and and be able to benchmark with that. Um, And I guess the, the better question is, why not do it now? Right. Okay. I'll take that one. It's like, I suppose any time is a good time to be developing inclusion in organisations. So, so yeah. So, um, I mean, our report uh, goes into some depth, actually, looking at the issues and challenges that inclusion inside of organisation faces from the myths that are around to microaggressions and all these areas. But I want to concentrate today really about what organisations can do uh, and, and to actually build inclusion in their organization so so what do you think those those key issues are that organizations are facing around inclusion at the moment i think some of the trends that i'm seeing where organizations have a a good drive to do the right thing um, and can understand the commercial benefits of doing so um, but they don't necessarily have the insight or the structured guidance that, that would come with you know, really doing it well. So I'll give you I'll give you a few examples. The first one I think is when um, either decision makers or innovators in different organisations come up with um, activities that they want to achieve or events that they want to hold, for example, because they've seen something like that done in other organisations, whether that's in their industry or or another industry. But what they often don't see or make enough accommodation for is what the organization who's doing that has done before and what they're planning to do after and how it fits in the broader context, which often then leads to these things being done in isolation, um, then not being enough depth to what's going on behind it. um, And it can feel quite faddy. Um, The second thing I see, which links in with that, is where many organisations have increasingly needed to operate at pace and the culture has had to catch up with that. Um, And and that in itself presents a lot of work to do with with organisational development. One of the, the real key points I see 
around inclusion is that there is a lack of insufficient, um, sorry, there's a lack of sufficient or a lack of reliable or a lack of really relevant data that supports what people are doing around inclusion. Um, and it's almost like a it's sort of trying to hotwire or take a shortcut. Um, and that means that it's based on assumption which body of data. So it's about the investment in that before you then go on to do the sort of exciting, nice to have activities as well. I would say um, I don't think some organisations invest um, enough time or resources in building frameworks and mechanisms um, that are going to support the longer term success of what they're doing, which leads to things feeling quite disjointed uh, and transactional, um, rather than focusing first on designing um, and investing in a, a vehicle that's going to help you carry it forward and create sustainability. And then I think that the piece that a lot of people already think about um, is how we develop, educate, um, and create awareness and communication campaigns. In this area, one of the things that I see, particularly around the education piece or awareness piece, is a lot of mandatory sheep dip off the training, uh, off the training, off the shelf training, um, in, in an effort to either uh, ensure compliance or to reach a certain standard that is expected of them by their, their stakeholders. Um, but doing it in this way without necessarily, again, having it part of the bigger picture and thinking about um, it is not always effective and actually in some instances can be quite dangerous to the cause. Um, again, we talk about that in, in the report with some, some research behind it. But I guess uh, in summary for that point, one size doesn't necessarily fit all, whether it's stakeholders or purposes that, that all refers to. Okay, so, so there's kind of like four areas there, and, and I'm kind of picking out themes, and I've got something about gathering reliable insights and something around inclusion plans, something definitely around infrastructure uh, yeah. uh, of inclusion activities, yeah. and, and something around education and awareness. So, so why don't we just go through each one of those and just think about what we can like help our listeners with in those sure. four areas. So the first one around gathering insights. So how could organizations gather valuable and reliable insights, um, whether they're creating or evolving their inclusion strategy? Yeah, and that's it's interesting that you say that that last part, because I think sometimes organizations might have started out on the journey uh, and think, well, you know, we, we've not necessarily done that when we started this, where does that leave us? Um, and, and the answer to that is there is, is so much you can do, whatever stage you're at in the, the inclusion roadmap. Um, the first thing that I would say to that is really think about both the quality and quantity or frequency of, uh, frequency of guidance and expertise that you're seeking out. Um, so partner with someone who will um, you know, be able to give you a really good insight into what's going on in, in other industries, what the best, best practice standard is, they can help you benchmark, um, but they will also really have the tools and techniques to understand your culture and how and what is applicable to you. Um, you also need to find someone who's going to help you build internal capability as well, um, because if it especially if it's someone who's sort of saying, here you go, I've got these off the shelf packages for you. 
what you don't want to end up doing is again having that disjointed approach where you're really super reliant for everything on an external source so find someone who's going to bear that in mind and, and offer that up um, and then when you do sort of seek out that data how are you acting on it um, because again sometimes because of our conflict in priorities we'll sometimes hear what we want to hear so again it's about making sure that you're using that investment to to really understand what that means for you um, and in terms of the data that you do have what is that telling you about what's going on in your organization and therefore what you need to do to really affect positive inclusive change um, you know so it might be that you have very little data um, in which case that already tells you something um, it tells you that that's an area you need to focus on um, so you need to map out um, you know what you need how you're going to get it um, and how you're going to ensure that it's reliably generated as well. Um, and again, you can lean on that, that expertise to give you some guidance around what that should look like. Um, many organisations just have what I call diversity rather than inclusion data. So it might be because of um, reporting obligations, such as, you know, gender pay gap or whatever else. Um, but as a result of that, it gives you an idea of the how diverse your population is but it doesn't necessarily tell you much about how included they feel and how you're doing with the whole inclusion piece. Um, that can really then limit not just inclusion, but the, uh, the resulting equality. And um, one of the things that, that we refer to in the report, which is the concept of equity as well. Um, so then it's about being able to draw valid conclusions um, and not just having really small and reliable cross-section to data. Um, and also really starting to think about the longer term. If you do invest in the data, then rather than just kind of going for the cheapest option, have a think about speculating to accumulate where you can. So it's going to be future-proofed to get the sort of quantity and the sort of quality of data that you're going to need to monitor and review what you're doing and increase your maturity. Okay, so so from the area of, of gathering insight, what we're really talking about there is actually where you're going to get your expertise, be it externally or internally. Make sure you're gathering the right data in inverted commas that you yes. need at your time, uh, and very much around make sure you understand the data in the right way without kind of assuming anything yes. when when you start kind of things. Uh, to totally, um, because again, I think we find ourselves particularly close to, to what we're doing and it's something like culture which is quite evocative whoever you are in in that you know in stakeholder of the culture influencing force in that culture it's very evocative and sometimes we hear what we want to hear um, and we sort of distort the messaging to, to fit what we want to hear so it's just about really being open to that Okay, that's great. So let's move on to that second area uh, when we were talking about, it's almost like balancing your inclusion plans with delivering actions. So how can you yeah. ensure that uh, inclusion plans are comprehensive enough without really delaying those visible, tangible actions to show that you're doing something? Yeah, um, and this is, a, again, something that we, we touched upon in that report. Um, a lot of people um, don't necessarily start with enough of the components they're going to need in mind. Um, so not only are there a number of things that you 
consider, there's also a number of things that it is really beneficial to consider when trying to not reinvent the wheel, I guess. So there's, there's things that are going to be going on elsewhere within your organisational development plans that are going to be so interdependent with what you're doing in your inclusion strategy. And then there's going to be components of your inclusion strategy itself that will be independent on each other. So um, holistic planning um, is going to enhance rather than um, sort of conflict with other organizational development plans that you've got, which is, you know, often when we've got that level of conflict, we see a lot of things being put on the back burner or, you know, um, not being invested in as was originally planned um, because something else has to take precedent. Well, by taking the time initially to look at it more holistically, you can say, well, that is going to, you know, what's the ripple effect that is going to ultimately benefit that, which is going to create a platform for this, um, which then, um, leads me to things like timeframes. So, for example, sequencing is really important. Um, you know, as I said, when we, we first started speaking today, um, a lot of people see these great things that they could um, achieve that, oh, that's really exciting. I saw that somebody had done this. We can do that in our organisation. Um, well, yeah, but what needs to come before flat or b not feel like a, a, a sort of huzzah launch with no real kind of substance to it thereafter um it's also important to think about the cyclical the cyclical nature of what you're doing so it's not unfortunately it's not um just kind of a straight road journey to the end point you know that becoming an inclusive employer is an ongoing commitment um, again, that's why in order to make it more um, business as usual and um, just a, a real kind of part of what we do, it's important to put all these components in place from early on um, and understand the breadth and depth um, of the reach of it at any given time. So, you know, when you're doing this over here in this space as part of your inclusion plan, what's the ripple effect of that? So, um, you know, what else is happening? What messaging is going on um, and does it align with that or does it create some sort of problem um, or, or competition with that and, and I love your your concept there of, of a ripple effect because I think this is uh, where inclusion plans sometimes fail and you you, you mentioned was it the bizarre moment I love that yeah um the, 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 the big bang launch kind of thing usually ends with a big flop straight away afterwards yeah, but it, if you, it does yeah yeah, if you can carry on building ripples and, and, and actually keeping one eye on the rhythm of your organization and making sure it matches into the rhythm, you can have an extensive inclusion like strategy, but that does fit in with what the organization is doing. Exactly. Well. And, and yeah. I think, you know, I would always advise that if you are trying to start fairly basic with, with certain things, whether that's because of budget or because you've decided that it, it's the better thing to do to try and walk before you can proverbially run then um unless unless there is some specific reason to do so i wouldn't go for big um sort of um in your face launches i would go for soft launches where you can because you you don't want it to be a one-stop event or you know and people get event fatigue around this stuff as well mm. you want it to become a really embedded part of your culture something that runs through the daily interactions in your organization 
which is suppose it goes back to your, your comment about sheep dips. Yes. Uh, we don't yeah. have the one size fits all because actually yeah. if you're going to entwine it, entwining never works with a, a one-off event. No. So no. cool. That's, that's really interesting. And I think that kind of leads into the third point, doesn't it, around around infrastructure. And, and so what are some of those key considerations for developing effective frameworks and mechanisms around inclusion within organisations? Um, I think um, a lot of historic um, employee networks or employee resource groups have been um, more, more affinity groups, really, than anything else. Um, and I've actually, in, in my history, um, in my sort of consulting history, I've done a lot of work around uh, employee networks. Um, and you often just get a, a, a group of people who um, either personally have a particular characteristic or a part of the community, or it's a cause that's really, really important to them for whatever reason. Um, and they're not necessarily given the tools that they need to achieve what they potentially could. Um, and actually, I think a lot of organisations miss, miss a trick here, because when it comes to things like um, networks um, or ally programmes or um, committees, champions, for example, there's so much more that can be done with those groups if the investment is there to properly develop them. Um, so, you know, for example, with networks, um, they're not just there to provide um, a, a safe space and a, a sense of belonging for certain communities. They can also be given more responsibility. They can provide about the feedback that's happening um, and they can be a communication vehicle um, they can have actually some really tangible strategic input if if the infrastructure is right um, same with ally programs you know again allies who are really coming forward rather than and we talk about this on our, our last podcast rather than just having allies who don't really do much other than go yeah i think this is a great cause you can use them to to help with education messaging and tone you can establish really really kind of good role models and visible role models in the organization and when it comes to more senior committees um, you can alleviate some of the the boundaries and the barriers to 360 communication in the organizations and i think that that's really interesting it's um because when you're saying that i'm actually just just thinking i've had my head into leadership development this week and some of those topics you're talking about around allies and people who are who are driving networks so the communication skills influencing skills role modeling skills there are things that, that we develop in in some of our leaders and our talent in organizations but we would probably never think of actually the head of our network um, could actually really benefit from this because they volunteer most of their time to do this stuff but that yep. skill could actually exactly yeah. exactly and, and that's you know as I said, a lot of the work that I've done um, has, has been in, in that space around networks. And um, it's, um, it's no mean feat having a voluntary role. And the frustration that comes with not having the platform or the tools to be able to do more with that. Um, but, you know, the, the, it, everyone can win, really, because the organisation can share the DNI workload. It makes things, it makes that real kind of culture shift where it's often hard to go, or what, what is the key to success? It can really help that culture shift when done right. Um, and where you can't afford to give them 
a, a sort of financial reward for what they're doing or, or anything that is sort of really classed as that sort of remuneration, you can develop them so that whether they continue to be to play the role that they play in the network or whether they um, move on to, to something else, move on to a different organization, they're getting some sort of reward for the time they're putting in to making you a, a more inclusive employer um, and increasing your, the value of your employer brand. Mm, so, totally. uh, so yeah, so that, I mean, that's what I'd say about um, frameworks such as networks and, and what have you. When it comes to mechanisms and tools for gathering feedback um, as well as networks, um, I would again say that you can use these for multiple, multiple purposes. So they can be used and I would suggest have a look at what is available. Um, talk to whoever you're using as your provider about what tools you can use to gather feedback more frequently than the, um, the annual sort of uh, engagement survey that the results for which uh, are obsolete pretty soon after it's been published. Um, and when, you, when you're investing in the, those tools or when you're finding ways to do that, um, it gives, it gives the, the stakeholders of your inclusive efforts um, the opportunity to, to voice more of their thoughts when they're having them um, and feel like they're being heard. Um, but also it provides, again, it feeds back into that data bit. So it gives you more enriched narrative around your metrics, gives you the data to be able to, to really thoroughly monitor, evaluate and, and adapt what you're doing. Fantastic. So I, I want to move on to the last area now, because as always with our podcast, time runs away yes, with us when we're having fun. Um, <laughs> this, this, the last area was around education and awareness. Yeah. And um, so I suppose I'm looking for, for some advice from you here. So, so what, what advice would you give to support the planning and delivery of, of kind of meaningful awareness campaigns and development programs? And I suppose I focus on meaningful. Yes. There. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is the hard piece. It's getting everybody else on board. Um, and uh, th th there's all sorts of things that I could I could touch upon here. But to summarise, um, I would say try not just to have either a top-down approach or a bottom-up approach. And to be honest, even a, a pincer approach, if you will, of top-down, bottom-up, um, isn't necessarily going to cut it in the longer term here. Um, it, it's going to provide limited engagement. Um, really, you need to think of ways that you can use infrastructures, for example, to really get this to run through the entire organisation um, and be something that is embedded in values that aren't just printed and stuck up on the wall, but they're actually lived. You know, So whether that is your um, the values that you profess to have as an organisation or whether that's something that is unwritten, but you're, you're really kind of starting to tap into that. Um, talking of top-down uh, is um, often, often leadership are left out of the education because they're making the decisions about this. I would suggest that they are hugely when it comes to education and awareness. Um, I often see what I would call theoretical buy-in from senior leadership teams. Um, but not necessarily um, that real kind of um, sincere um, understanding that from 
being able to be curious enough and reflect and understand what the lived experience is. So that's not necessarily because you've got insincere people in your leadership team, but often because they're busy. And often we look at the typical demographic for you know our, our execs, um, and even in some of the more progressive environments, there's still work to do there. So you know, considering that. Um, it is about being able to educate leaders on um, themselves. So, you know, unpicking the why, um, unpicking what their own concerns are about it, um, understanding what their what their behaviour and their activity um, does. Does it help or does it hinder? Um, and what's the detail of that in context? Um, which can be diff difficult, difficult conversations, but that's where some real good coaching um, and reflection activity is, is important for them. Um, and for them to be able to understand the why as well, they need that context and they need to be able to communicate that why as a cascade through the organisation to get other people to buy in and to be able to role model. Um, I would also say when it comes to any um, company-wide training that you're looking to do uh, around inclusion, identify who you want to receive that. So um, is that based on roles? Is it based on responsibilities? Is it based on the communities that people are part of? Um, is it to do with the level of influence that that person has in the organization? There's a number of variable factors that should come into play rather than just, we're gonna make everyone go through this because every, it should be important to everyone. You know, Yes, it should be important to everyone, but by you telling and prescribing that to them without any more context or without any flexibility it's probably um, going to be met with a little bit of resistance from some people. After the who, it, you need to think about what. Um, is it for awareness? Is it for education? Or is it for action? Um, and what's the call to action? What's your messaging in that? What are you expecting from people as a result of this? Um, and is the other platforms that you're using, the media that you're using, really the ones to achieve that? Or is it something where someone is um, just trying over and over again to get as many answers as they can right onto e-learning until it lets them finish? Um, you know, what, what's the kind of the, the landscape there, I guess? Um, then it's why. So, um, you know, why does that, you know, why does that population or person in particular need it? Um, and how are you going to sell it to them, so to speak? Um, you know, even if it is mandatory, they need to understand the why to engage with it in the best way and for you to get the best return on what you're doing. So give them as much access to the big picture as you can. Transparency is so key in everything you do around inclusion because it's it's again it's about the trust it's about um certainty fairness security relatedness all of the things that are so important to us um you know as as human beings um so with the why as well what, what's in it for them um it sounds quite mercenary but again human thing what's in it for me um and we explore a couple of myths in our report that really start to unpick some of this stuff um to, to understand that there is some value for everyone individually to be taking part in in inclusion activity um then thinking about how you're going to said what what platforms are you going to use um is it going to be an open forum is it going to be more prescribed 
Um, is it going to be online? Is it going to be, um, you know, a kind of Zoom, for example? Um, and when? So prioritizing what are the what are the topics that should come first and why? And this should all form part of your, your strategy and your planning. Um, what outcomes are you hoping for? How are you going to ensure that you can cascade that learning? That might be one way of doing it. But maybe you could use your networks. Maybe you could use your allies to cascade that messaging and that learning um, and incrementally build understanding. Um, and then lastly, I'd say what, what next um, for that? So certainty, again, you know, reassurance, engagement, managing people's expectations so they know what happens afterwards. And then when you're further along with your, with your education piece and with your strategy um, and you've got certain key components in place, um, I would really encourage people to think quite carefully about how they're going to, to approach talent development and management for their diverse colleagues. Um, I've, I've got a lot of experience myself working um, with leadership and talent, and I've seen in a, in a lot of um, sort of setups where there's quite a broad offering um, that the things that are called talent development programs are actually really just leadership development programs with a little bit of extra um you know jazz um and and so i often used to think if this program doesn't actually really serve the purpose of helping people overcome barriers to transitioning to um, bigger or more complex roles then it's really just leadership development stuff that is going to make them great in their current role but not necessarily help them get to that next stage um, and when we're talking about our diverse talent, we're already at a point necessarily had as much visibility of how somebody who is like them can do well and progress and, and have that career mobility. So really for the barriers that are specific to your diverse communities and moving in their career. So, so really, uh, what we're saying around the awareness campaigns and development campaigns, going back to that bit that 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 sheet dipping and one size fits all won't work is because there is just so much to think about isn't it from Absolutely. the education yeah. and awareness I mean you've got your five w's your way what and, and, yeah. and everything there from the development programs what we're saying is talent isn't just picking your best leadership and accelerating them it's about looking no. where this talent is and and what barriers they face yeah. and and then your leaders I mean it goes back to your network leaders as well but your senior leaders is also role modeling isn't it it's also yeah. communication it's a it's walking the talk kind of thing so yeah. so it's, it's interesting how something as simple as a question around education and awareness actually has so many factors built and, into uh, it you know me Anthony I could go on for days um but but yeah th there's, a, there's a lot to think about but it's also it is quite structured it is linked and it's not as overwhelming as it sounds um when you sort of take the time to find the right people to talk and, and be willing and ready to um, apply it with all the resources that you've got available. Yeah, so so I think that that's the, the the point really, isn't it? Of our report, isn't it? We got to the to the point where we had a model saying actually, it's not so much about what you do on the ground. In some ways, is actually the framework of actually yes. how you go around looking at all the different areas will give you that sustainable yes. kind of inclusive inclusive organisation. Which is ultimately, you know, what you're aiming to achieve. As we said, being an inclusive employer isn't a, a, a top of a mountain that you reach and then you can just walk back down and leave. It's, um, 
it's demonstrating that ongoing commitment to you know giving everybody that that share in the business fantastic joe as always it you're a mine of information on the topic and (laughs) and it's great talking to you quite eloquent with it as well so so thanks for taking the time out and and talking us through the new inclusive organizations uh, report thanks you're very welcome thanks for having me once again it's been very enjoyable no worries at all and obviously everyone thanks for joining us today you can download our new inclusive organizations report free from our website at tapsolutions.com backslash inclusion so join go to the website for more details and there's some of our blogs and our podcasts around this the similar topic as well on inclusion but as always thanks for listening to tap talks hr bye for now <laughs>